0: Hi Josie, thank you so much for joining us on the UK Run Chat podcast today. Would you like to, I mean you, you are a regular kind of, we, we regularly see you on the UK Run Chat community, but would you like to just introduce yourself to our listeners here? Sure,
1: um, yeah I'm Josie, I'm a sports psychologist and a runner. Um, I've been running, I worked out for 20 years this year. Uh, I, I go up to marathon distance as, as the max my body can cope with. Um, But I love racing, and I love, as a sports psychologist, working with runners. Um, So I do lots of one-to-one work trying to get athletes to enjoy their races a bit more, to get the most out of themselves. Um, I also do lots of workshops with different run clubs and different groups of people. Um, And I write books. So my latest is called The Ten Pillars of Success, and it looks at 10 characteristics that can really help you make life more successful. And each characteristic is brought to life um, by someone fairly well known that, that can really talk about that. So we have lots of runners in that book. We have Damien Hall um, and Lucy Gossage, who, if anyone was following the spine a couple of weeks ago, will have seen them both doing brilliantly. Um, and we have Dane Kelly Holmes in there as well, talking about how important it was in her career to have a sense of belonging.
0: Yeah. Oh, it sounds fantastic. Yeah. I've actually got one of your books here on my desk called The Psychology of Exercise, which I found very interesting um, as I have a a daughter about to, well, she's 10. So she's kind of getting into, you know, the the not wanting to do it anymore because she's getting very bodily aware. So I thought it'd be interesting to kind of reflect on how women feel exercising today. Um, I mean, how did you get into like the psychology and sports psychology?
1: How did that come about? So I was doing, I I always call it a grown-up job. I was working um, for a big organisation as a communications director. uh, And we went over to Melbourne, me and my husband in Australia, to do um, Melbourne Ironman. And I'd done most of my training in nice chlorinated 20-metre swimming pools in London. And then I stood on the beach in Frankston where this race is. And oh my goodness, the waves, were. Utterly terrifying. Everyone was looking scared, uh, and the guy in the tanoi said, "You know, you can't control the waves, but you can control how you feel about them." And I was, yeah, I guess ten years into doing sport, and it was the first time I'd realised I could use my brain. So I don't really have a body designed particularly well for for triathlon, my sport, but if I use my brain a bit more, I might be able to do better. And it was just one of those moments that was proper light bulb moment and I had a great race. And when I came back to the UK, I started looking into kind of sports psychology, which wasn't really talked about 10 years ago, um, and doing a bit more research into it. And a couple of months later, I quit my job. I went to do a conversion course at university for a year. I then did a year's master's in sports psychology um, and then I realised there were another three years of training to do in order to be properly qualified. Uh, so I had to do that as well. Um, but then 10 years later, here I am.
0: Yeah. Gosh, what a powerful moment then for you. That, what? that one kind of meeting, how, how, how a life can change. So you obviously really enjoy working with athletes. Do you work mainly with runners then or is it any kind of sports people?
1: Um, I think I've worked out, I've worked with 28 different sports now um and lots of the not always just sports a lot of the tech the the tools we use in sports psychology work equally well across um i work a lot in medicine um in education with business people so exactly the same tools and techniques and approaches we use with athletes also work in business too so it's a complete mix um i do have a soft spot for runners yes
0: yeah you're running yourself I know you're coming back from it is it a broken toe you've had
1: yes <laughs> Christmas Eve I tripped over a water bottle that had been oh, left no in the middle of our living room floor yeah in the toe.
0: oh no we've all done it I've broken my toe on a duvet cover before
1: now Oh I know.
0: yeah it's just something silly that puts us out for a while so you're back are you back at it now is it feeling okay
1: it, yeah I did a run on Monday and it's still feeling a bit wobbly so I, I might have a little bit more time off.
0: Yeah oh yeah we'll take it easy. Well today we're chatting about ultra marathons and um, just pushing ourselves up a little bit further now. Um, Threshold Sports have arranged this chat and I was excited when I read about the ultra Fifty Fifty campaign because um, they've set an ambition, haven't they, in the Threshold Trail series um, to achieve at least a 50% female participation, um, you know, for this, this summer's races and beyond. So they they do the Race to the King and the Race to the Stones, which are both 100 kilometre races. Now, um, this particularly interests me. Um, I, I have done ultras before. Um, at the moment, I kind of I feel like that distance is beyond me at the moment i'm kind of in perimenopause so i'm i'm kind of intrigued to hear your your kind of tips for helping women first of all believe they can get to that point where they want to do an ultra marathon and secondly like how we can get the best out of ourselves so um i think figures um they did give us some figures about female participation in uk running events so it's actually dropped post-Covid, which is quite sad, isn't it, to see because it was on the rise. I mean, what are your
1: thoughts around this just initially? I can see why it dropped post-Covid. I think for my perception is women had it really, really tough during Covid of taking on far more responsibilities than even before we normally have, and particularly caring responsibilities. And I often know that when I work with men and they've got a challenge they're really up for, they get super excited about that challenge and they've entered and they're off doing it. Whereas women tend to take, or some women will take longer deciding whether they can justify it and how are they going to cover Childcare or other responsibilities and is it fair to spend that money entering something on themselves rather than on their children and so it does seem to be there's a lot of guilt that sometimes goes into doing something that's purely for ourselves and the time that will take away from some of the responsibilities and the caring we feel we should be putting into other people so I can definitely see why post-covid that number went down um, what really worries me is it's still down. Yeah. So we know that in ultra-distance racing, it's about 30% of athletes taking part are female. Um, and there's no reason physiologically-wise why that should be. Um, so I wonder if it is some of those caring responsibilities, maybe s- some worries about whether it's it's possible. I often find guys will enter a race and then figure out how they do the training and how they're going to fit it in and whether it's possible but they'll just get on with it and yeah. women will will be much more um focused on can I do that they almost need to be in a good place first and then they'll enter a race a man yeah. will enter a race and then figure out how on earth you do it yeah so we kind of like to be more prepared don't we and know totally. no, we've got this. <laughs> And and in a way, that's a great thing. It's really important that we don't just go off and start trying to run huge distances. We do need, everybody needs to build up um, responsibly and not putting their body under too much pressure and increasing a little bit by little bit and really, really preparing exceptionally well. So it's a good thing. Yeah. I just think we probably need to make more opportunities for women to see what is possible. And if you can see others doing it, you're more likely to be up for it yourself.
0: Yes, um, it's, it's true. There are some very high profile female ultra runners out there doing really well aren't there at the moment. Um, I mean, I'm thinking of, you know, Jasmine Paris, re- re- well, relatively recently in the spine race. Um, and Courtney DeWalter, of course, she's, yep. she's doing phenomenally well. I mean, what, what a role model for women to go run long distance. So I mean, I mean, are there any any more that kind of spring to
1: mind that you can think of that
0: we can be looking to?
1: Oh, anyone watching anyone doing the spine last week, actually, was just how people keep going. When if you watch any of the videos that the women put out as they were going along, it's mind blowing that you can be basically almost at the top of a mountain in snow in a blizzard. Um, You can see about a metre in front of you and you just keep going. They are all amazing. Um, And and there are lots of different sources of confidence that we can get. But a really, really good one is vicarious confidence. So it's seeing other people that are a bit like us, going out and doing things we would like to try. And you kind of look at them and go, oh, if they can, maybe I can too. Um, I am not going to go off and After watching Lucy Gossage do the spine and watch her videos, did really well. Yeah. There's no way I'm going to go and do the spine. But it does make me think, oh, maybe I should stretch myself a bit more. Maybe I should try something that's a bit different or that I don't feel 100% comfortable doing. Maybe that's a great thing to do and go and see what's possible. So I think the more women we have who are profiled out doing really cool adventures, the better. And that's why I loved what Threshold have done where they've picked these women that they can just show their journey. And all of them are, are amazing. But yeah. they all had something about them where you're like, oh, she's just had a baby. She's got a stoma. She's done this. They're, they're just like, they, they're they people we can all relate to. They're not elite athletes. They're not the Courtney DeWalters who's on another planet to most of us. The, the real role models to me are the people that are, they've got stuff going on in their lives. They've got the people we'd consider normal women, but they're being brave enough to go out and push themselves and see what's possible. They're the ones that really inspire many of us.
0: Yeah, that is such a good point, actually. Yeah, it's not just about the elite athletes, is it? I think if we can see something of ourselves in others, that's so important. I mean, a, a lot of a lot of women are kind of fearful of, of diving into these races just in case. How can we... How can we kind of tackle the anxiety and fear with with regard to, you know, taking the step into ultra distance? Have you got any tips for people?
1: i so say there's two things. So one is really, really good planning. So you yeah. never want to get on the start line. And be utterly terrified that you don't know you can do it. You need a whole list of things in the back of your mind about the goals you set on the way there and how you achieved them, the distances you've practiced running in the build-up, the evidence that you can give yourself that you can do difficult things or you can handle setbacks or you can get through discomfort. So you want to plan your training, not just with the physical stuff in mind. You want to plan your training with how to give yourself all of that mental evidence that you can do these really hard things and that you've got Um, Mental skills and a toolkit in the back pocket that you've practiced that are going to get you through it, and that means you stand on the start line going, "Hey, stuff might happen in an ultra, in any long distance race. Stuff happens. It's part of the the excitement. Is it's totally uncontrollable. So stuff will go wrong. Stuff will be difficult. We're never going to expect it to be perfect. Um, But at least knowing I've done everything I possibly could in the build up." can give you a real good confidence that at least you got to the start line in a good place. Yeah. Other element I think is so important is knowing your why. So one of the things I loved watching with the spine was Lucy was fundraising for Move Charity. So she is an oncologist, but she's also an athlete. And her charity is all about getting people prepared to go into cancer surgery through being much more active throughout dealing with cancer, um, that that makes them happier, it makes them get better outcomes. And so she was fundraising for that. So it's something she's absolutely passionate about. That means when you're on the top of a mountain and it's snowing and it's freezing cold, and and she said at one point she got a garment out and it was totally frozen, like those moments when you're like, I don't know how to do this, or you're doing race to the stones race to the king and you're halfway through and every part of your body's going this is a stupid thing to do why am i doing this you've got the answer for it you know why it is so some people that's for charity um some of the women i met um at the launch event for the fifty fifty ultra they're doing it because they all do it so it tends to be there's a group of them and they get on brilliantly and one enters a, a crazy long race and then gradually picks off everybody else in that group until they've all entered it. Um, I think <laughs> I love seeing like the WhatsApp yeah. groups where everyone's like, "Oh yeah, I'll have a go." And then suddenly, you're like, "What are we all signed up for? This is crazy!" But because they're all in it together, there's that real power of community and belonging. And I'm not alone. If something goes wrong, there's somebody by my side. If the training's difficult, there's somebody else that gets. How difficult that training is, but they will give me the support. And so I think yes, if you know yeah. your why and you know that you've really prepared well, then actually you get on the start line and you can almost shrug your shoulders, and going, "Well, I'm going to give it my best. If it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. But I've done everything I can to get into a good place."
0: Yeah, yeah. There's there's some really good tips. Thank you. Um, I'm just yeah. I'm just having a flashback to my first marathon. I think that's how I got roped into my first marathon. Actually. Was... <laughs> peer pressure let's do it yeah (laughs) so i mean there are ultras are obviously difficult races aren't they so there does have to be some kind of acceptance there that it will get hard as well because there is going to be a moment in in any long distance race where you think i can't do this because you're you're tired um you perhaps need to get some food um and how how can people get over that and, well, prepare for it to start with Um and just kind of understand that that will happen, like that is a normal part of a race?
1: <laughs> is that just about the training or is there something no, else? No, I think it's much more about your mental approach to it. So the approach I use as a psychologist is called ACT. It stands for Acceptance and Commitment Therapy. And the goal with it is to notice the things that really worry you and your fears and your concerns, but you're not trying to fight them. You're not trying to get rid of them. You're not trying to hide them. You actively listen to them and you learn to sit alongside them so that you can get more uncomfortable with those thoughts of I can't do this, or this might be embarrassing if it goes wrong, or I could fail. So we're not trying to get rid of them and squash them. We're trying yeah. To go, Yeah, I could fail. It's a difficult thing to do, but I'm going to do it anyway because And that's where that why comes in. And it could be about our bigger purpose. It could be about the values that we hold very closely to us. It could be about the role model we're trying to be to others. But it's all about accepting that we're trying to do something hard. And that's a good thing. It's good to push ourselves out of our comfort zone. It's good to to be able to sit with difficult uncomfortable feelings at times and still do the thing that we want to do. So, I think a lot of it is about the approach. And then a really simple thing that I see most ultra runners dropping out because of is sugar.
0: Right. Because
1: of sugar. What, too much sugar or not enough? No, not enough. So, this is the only part of nutrition I ever strive into, but our brain is about 5% of our body weight. Yeah. It takes 20% of the fuel that we put in our body. And mainly glucose. That's what it loves. That's what fuels it. When it doesn't get enough glucose, we tend to think with the wrong part of our brain. Instead of being able to access the part of our brain that is very logical and rational and makes good quality decisions, we start to think with the threat part of our brain, which is highly emotional, has lots of black and white, catastrophic thinking and goes a bit haywire. Yeah. So what I see tends to happen a lot in ultra distance running is that somebody will be really good with their nutrition to start with, but they will get to a certain point where they just feel really nauseous and really sick. And the thought of having another gel or another bar just makes them want to feel really nauseous. So they stop. And it isn't the physical element that that necessarily impacts particularly. It's the mental one. So as soon as they've stopped eating and they're not fueling their brain, their brain very quickly gets to a point of this is a stupid thing to do. Why am I doing this? This hurts. This is uncomfortable. Let's stop. And as soon as that person has pulled out and they've eaten, they're really annoyed with themselves that they stopped. So it's a really simple one, but it's about thinking when you're doing an ultra and you're taking in your nutrition and your fuel it's not about fueling your body necessarily. It's just about just as much about fueling your brain.
0: Yeah, that is yeah, do you know I've never thought about that. That that obviously all makes perfect sense. I've never considered that the fuel is for the brain as well. But that's yeah, that I'm thinking back to moments in races where I've had similar feelings because I've not been fueled enough. It's not the body, is it? It's the brain. But it's well. your brain's going, Well, this it's... is a dumb thing to do, let's quit.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and at that point your brain goes, Yeah, well, thanks
0: yeah so that's just about being prepared isn't it and and going through your training and making sure
1: practicing and training so you're really your tummy is really used to everything you're giving it but also having a really strict plan that you're going to use in your race and not waylaying from that so stuff will happen in any ultra race because they're so long because you're in conditions that are not controllable um if if you want controllable conditions, you can you're probably going to be able to do like 100 meter sprint in a stadium. Yeah. Once we start to get any longer than that, we're we're welcoming in a lot of uncontrollables. And the further you go and the more wild conditions you are in, the more of that you get. But there should be some non-negotiables within yeah. your plan. And that should always be your fueling strategy.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a very good tip. Thank you, Josie. Um, so we we chatted briefly about the kind of pressures from society on women in terms of making them feel guilty. Um, I mean, how ha- how can we help society get over that as a whole? How can how can we get over that? <laughs> oh, I wish we could fix that one. <laughs> it's been a long time in the in the training, hasn't it? <clears throat> of this yeah, how do we? How can we take small steps to to kind of make things different?
1: I guess. It's hard. It's really hard. I think at a cultural level, it is far more profiling of female athletes. It's having far more sponsorship of female athletes. It's sports scientists, sports scientists actually doing proper research on female athletes. It's stop talking about female athletes and athletes. Yeah. When we see football, we should be talking about men's football and women's football instead yeah. of football and women's football. Yeah. So it's just all the time. I, um, I marked university papers recently, and it was fascinating that there was a coach talked about in the case study in it. And I would say at least a quarter of the papers assumed the coach was male. It was a generic name. It could have been yeah. either. No one assumed the coach was female. So there is still such a kind of hangover that sport is a man's world. And until we actively promote more and more women and make them super visual, I loved seeing, um, I didn't get to go to the running show this weekend. I had massive FOMO, um, but I loved seeing stages. There were so many women's names up on the stages. They were hosted by people like Anna Harding and Sophie Power. who So it just puts women front and centre of running and that is amazing that makes you go oh this is a world for me but still when we look at sponsorship levels when we look at how much coverage you get in media when i read the back pages of any newspaper lucky if there's one story about women's sport um and there'll be 30 about men's so, so the more people that can can get women out there i i work on. Um, on elite trail team where we're trying to promote a team of runners going out there doing elite trail running. Um, And we just recruited, we actively ensured we recruited 50% females to that. So if every team and every group and every media group is is doing that 50% effort, then we will have far more women out there that we can all be, we can all get that vicarious confidence from. We can start to go, oh, this is normal. This is what girls do in school. This is what women get to do in their spare time, and we start to change that. Yeah, it just takes a really long time. Yeah,
0: it does. Sadly, doesn't it? It's so important. And I guess now is the point to mention it's the the whole debate that comes up every time we see something in the news about somebody being attacked while they're out running, or it's all about women's safety, isn't it? You know, do women. I guess a lot of us do fear going out sometimes Absolutely. in the dark or on our own. That can have an impact, can't it?
1: Massively. I um, I remember finishing, I was working on a British athletics camp, um, doing some online work and I finished about six o'clock on a Sunday night. And I was like, oh, I'd love to go out for a run. My husband's looking at me like I'm crazy. I'm like, well, why not? And I'm like, because it's dark and it's winter and I'm not safe. And it was honestly like a little light bulb. And he was like, You have to think about that, don't you? It's like, yeah, we all do. And a guy a guy has twice as much training time because they can just go out and run whenever they want, and they can probably wear headphones. Um whereas we have to think much more carefully about where we're gonna be safe, where we run, at what time we do it, and that massively cuts down your training time. So a woman trying to train over winter trying to train for an ultra is going to struggle to fit in some of those long runs to be able to get them in daylight hours when they're not supposed to be working or picking up children from school or all the other things that are on your plate um you have to to feel really confident or feel like you've got lots of safety mechanisms in place to be able to go and just get those hours in yeah yeah, you do, don't you? I mean I've I've I run with
0: my dog quite a lot. I took her out today actually, but still had a moment where we were running through um a woods out onto the golf course and there were no golfers about today for some reason. And there was a van parked there with a man in it, and your mind starts playing tricks on it, doesn't it? And as I ran past, he put his van into reverse and followed me up the road and I think he was just driving up the road and I was just in his way. I had kind of nowhere to go, but I was like, oh, my God, I don't like this. So I kind of nipped onto the actual green um, of the golf course and kind of and he drove off and I was kind of relieved. But, yeah, it does. It's I do seem to have these moments, as I'm sure we all do, where we just kind of yeah. it's worst case scenario, isn't it? Um, totally. And then the next time
1: you're supposed to go out for a run, really? there's just that little bit more doubt in your brain. And if you're already on the edge of, do I really want to run or not? It's really cold. The weather's awful. I've got a to-do list of thirty things that I should be doing. It's one of those things that makes it a little bit harder to go out and do it. Yeah, but I guess that's where
0: the power of groups come in, doesn't it? You know, if we've got okay. a group of other people to train with
1: for these for these events, yes. we can get out and
0: there safely.
1: There's some really really good research out there about the power of of training with other people. Um, if you're gonna do it this is a bit manipulative but you want people that are a little bit better than you Yes. so you don't want people that are worse than you because they'll pull you down and you don't want people that are too good because you'll just feel like you're holding them back or you'll actually run too fast and end up getting injured but ideally if you can swing it you want people that are a little bit better than you um and then they help your performance as well as giving you a safe way to run and just a more enjoyable way to run with other people
0: yeah yeah I'm just yeah just I think it gives you that motivation to get out as well doesn't it
1: running with yeah, others totally.
0: yeah I enjoy it I know I struggle to get out on my own now which is where the dog comes in very useful so <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes yeah, so I mean, um, my way at the moment is I do drop I drop my daughter off at school and then I have to run home oh, okay then, yeah, none of the getting out of the house bit it's like it's just a lot quicker to if it's gonna take me half an hour to walk I might as well run for half an hour and yeah. get my run in. So if you know that you struggle to get out the door or to do certain things, you can really do some planning of like, yeah. how do I give myself no choice? Yeah. Yeah. Right, I mean, sh- should
0: we get into just a little bit about just mental strategies generally for completing an ultra? So we're kind of, we- we've got to that point where we're we're entering an ultra um, and there are going to be some tough tough moments in it. Um, yeah. But how how do we kind of set ourselves, you know, a challenging but achievable goal for that? What what's the kind of process for kind of how we're going to do and how we're going to plan for it? Because at this stage, we've got no idea if it's our first ultra how we're going to perform in it, haven't we? I guess
1: no. So I think we can separate it into the the preparation for it, yeah, and then the tools you might want for actually doing it, and they're going to be quite different, yeah. The preparation for it you want three types of goals that you're working on so you want an outcome goal and an outcome goal is something that's really motivational gets you super excited almost like the twisty tummy (gasps) can't wait till I do that but going to be quite uncontrollable so that might be finishing your first ultra distance um as you go through it might be coming top 10 in my my age category or something so it it could be a performance goal it could be a participation and finishing it goal they're great for motivation not great actually for working towards because they're so uncontrollable yeah so we tend to break that down into performance goals so that might be looking at i know race to the stones it's a hundred kilometers, I think. Um, Well, I don't do long, long distance. And right, what would it take me? What would I feel like I've done well on this type of course, looking at what other people have done who are similar to me with the amount of training time I can put in, it would be X amount of hours. So if I can get to a point where I feel I can run that distance in that time, then I'm on track to being able to achieve my outcome goal. So you've got something that's a bit more kind of concrete and something you can break down apart. part. And then the magic bit comes when you get the process goals. And these are when you pull the performance into little parts of like, well, how do I run that distance in that time? And that might be at least two long runs a week of at least X distance. At least one group run where I do X, Y, or Z. At least... um, or a session with a nutritionist so that I understand my fueling strategy and how I can fuel it all really well. Um, Three times a week doing strength conditioning or stretching work in the gym to ensure I reduce my risk of injury. So they become actions that are all doable and all go into your training plan so that you're like, you can see I've done all this stuff and I know all this stuff, is likely to get me towards that performance and there's a good chance if I can achieve that performance I will achieve my overall goal but you're not thinking about the overall goal because the overall goal is terrifying it's a bit scary yeah you're looking at it like whoa I can't do that that sounds enormous but if you break it down into yes that's enormous but in order to achieve that this is what I have to do in the 16 weeks building up to it then you're ticking off things every day. Yeah. And when you kick off things on your training plan, you get a little buzz of dopamine, your reward chemical that makes you feel great. Yeah. And you get to see you are doing all of the things necessary to get you achieving that big thing. Yeah. So it takes a lot your
0: belief, I guess, doesn't it? Your self-belief that you can do it. Yeah. Yes. Really important.
1: Yeah. So, so yeah. that I think is really important in the build up. Okay. So that You can stand on the start line going, look at all the stuff I've done. These, yeah, all these things
0: movies. I've ticked off. Yeah,
1: that's very satisfying in itself, isn't it? Yeah, totally. off. Um, and then in the race itself, there's two big areas to think about. And this stems from kind of basic biology. So when sports science began, I think around 130 years ago now, they started really trying to study how people could get the best out of their body. And they, they used to think that you would put fuel in your body, and it would share itself around and you would use up your muscles until there was no fuel left in them and then you'd collapse. Um, and obviously we've got a bit more sophisticated than that now. And, and they actually do things like muscle biopsies when someone says they're at total exhaustion. And they found that when they do that, there's still about 30% of energy left in your muscles, even when you feel like you can go absolutely no further. So simply remembering that fact Some of my athletes have found very helpful that when their body is screaming at them, I can't do anymore. They're like, you have 30 percent left. You're absolutely fine. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So if there is 30 percent left in those muscles, there is something else that is stopping people. And the latest theory on this is a biopsychosocial model, which says that. To push ourselves further, we first need to increase motivation. And when that is totally maxed out, we need to reduce our perception of effort. We need to make what we're doing feel easier. How do we do that then? So to increase your motivation, um, you need a really good reason to be running. Yes, which we've We've already. That's your why, right? Yeah. So if I was to give you a million pounds Mm -hmm. to finish Race to the Stones, I'd reckon you'd do it. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely an incentive, yeah. <laughs> so um, we can up the motivation pretty high. However, if I was to say I'm going to give you £2 million, that wouldn't really make any difference. Hopefully, unless you're a millionaire, an extra million is probably not going to make that much difference. So we can definitely max out our motivation at points of like, yeah, this is as much as I have to put into what I'm doing. And at that point, we need to reduce perception of effort. So we need to make things feel easier. Um, One of the things that's used a lot by runners is caffeine. Yeah. So caffeine doesn't just help give us that kind of, that almost feeling of physical energy and alertness. One of the things it does is actually reduce how difficult things feel. So it can be incredibly helpful in the later stages of a race to help things feel a little bit easier. Um, Another one is um, smiling. Yes. Really simple, but I love it. Um, Where the research suggests when we smile whilst we're running, it it reduces the um, or improves the efficiency of our running, but it also tricks our brain into thinking what we're doing isn't as difficult as it is. So it reduces our perception of effort. Um, And this one's tricky in ultras because there aren't many supporters in most of them. But there's additional research that says when um, somebody smiles at you, you also tend to do better. Yeah. So They put cyclists on lab bikes and they flashed up um, subconsciously pictures of smiling people and grimacing people. And the people that saw the smiley people were able to go, I think, 12 percent longer than the people that got the grimacy ones wow that's that's a big difference yeah yeah so it's not so helpful on an ultra because there's far fewer people watching but certainly for like big city marathons big 5ks 10ks to be able to look into the crowds and smile at people and have them smile back is a really nice boost um and to build it into a mantra smile every mile it's a really lovely one. So every time you go under a marker or to the side of one, you smile, tricks your brain.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's nice. I like that. Um, yeah. Do, you things like... Well?
1: Do you use Sorry? mantras
0: yourself? Well? Do you use mantras? I, I have used them before yes. and they are effective, actually. Yeah. What's your favourite? Um, it's usually um, just keep moving. I, I just kind of re- repeat it to myself. Just keep moving. And it does work. It kind of gets my brain in
1: in the rhythm kind of say it rhythmically it does help yeah yeah there's two types we tend to use and both of them then again help reduce the perception of effort so one will be a motivational mantra and it's usually reminding yourself why you're doing it um so that's particularly relevant if you're doing something for charity you're running for charity thinking about those people that you're doing it for is very good if there's a specific goal in mind um i'll often work with people that are trying to qualify for something or younger athletes that are trying to get their first england vest or a gb vest and having that in mind for them is incredibly helpful of like when your body wants to back off a little bit but you're like i want that vest i want yeah. that vest helps okay. keep you going Yeah. the other type of mantra is an instructional one so like you'll just keep moving um which can either be an instruction to your body, which is quite generic, keep moving one foot in front of the other, keep pushing forward, or it can be quite technical. So for me, the technical one I have is head up. Because I know when I'm tired in a race, my head starts to go down, I slouch, I don't get as much oxygen in my body, and I'm shuffling along, I'm more likely to get injured or trip. Whereas if you lift your head up, your shoulders go back, chest goes forward, you lift your legs, you run far better and you pick yeah. up the pace without even meaning to.
0: Yeah. That's, in fact, I've used a similar one before. It's, it's usually armpits down because I hunch my shoulders when I get tired. Yeah. So it's Brilliant. armpits down. And that's, my, that's from yeah my Pilates teacher. Um, cool. So
1: thank you, Louise, for that. Yeah, armpits down. <laughs> <laughs> and it will be different for each of us depending on the weaknesses that tend to arise when we get tired, yeah. whether that's shoulders or neck, um, and the distances we do. So for my sprinters that I work with, a lot of theirs is about pumping arms, push arms, push arms or high knees. Um, So it would be very adapted. But it's the I always say it's the one thing. If your coach was watching you in that moment, what's the thing they would yell at you? Yeah, that's kind of a really good instructional mantra because it helps improve your technique, which then helps you push yourself harder but still reducing the perception of effort. It doesn't yes. feel so hard because you, you've got good technique.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. So what about um, visualisation? Is is that a useful tool people can use? How would they go about kind of starting to make that helpful in an ultra?
1: I think visualisation is probably the most underrated mental skill there is. Yeah. Um, I wrote a book a couple of years ago um, for teenage athletes called I Can. And in it, I interviewed 10 elite athletes about kind of different elements of their approach to their sport. And almost all of them said one of the most important mental skills they had was visualisation. And yet it's probably the one athletes like working on the least because it actually takes up a lot more time than you imagine. It is not closing your eyes and daydreaming about having the best race of your life. It is, it's very technical And it's very much about um, planning exactly how you would want the most difficult part of your race to go. So we actually write a script for it.
0: Right, okay.
1: when it is most effective is when all your senses are engaged. So it's based on this idea of functional equivalence, that in your brain, when you learn how to do a skill, you do it over and over again, and your brain neurons connect in the correct way so that over time it becomes a habit and you do it automatically the idea of visualization is that our brain can still make those connections even if we're not physically doing it but if we are imagining it in the right way with all our senses engaged so when we write a script we would be writing about what the athlete can see as they're running through that environment, what they would be hearing, what they can smell, what they can taste, what they can touch, like the stickiness of the hand when you've got gel on it, or um the smell as you run through the countryside and you've gone through fields with manure on them. Yeah. Um, like they might feel quite obscure, but it really brings it to life. Um, there's a race I do most years in Windsor, Windsor Triathlon, and every year because it's in quite a popular part of the Thames you can taste the diesel and all I need to do is smell diesel anywhere and I'm suddenly transported back to being in that river oh wow yeah very powerful sense isn't it yeah yeah. and so smell and taste can really really bring things alive so I will often get an athlete watching a YouTube video or even like the promotional race videos that are made of parts of the courses ideally they'll go out and do bits of the course. So if you're doing something like, I don't know, Race to the Stones and it's the big race of your year, this is the one you really care about. Go out over a couple of weekends and do different sections of it. Really, really get to know it. Yeah, so get a real figure. Comfort- yeah. yeah, so that your imagery is really realistic. Because the more realistic it is, the more when you get to that point in the race, your brain goes, oh, I feel comfortable. I've done this before. I know what I'm doing. This isn't like nothing's going to be thrown at me out of the blue. I can do this. So we want to write a script. We want to make that script super realistic. Um, And then we want to record the script and listen to it a couple of times a day. And you only want it to be two or three minutes long. So you don't want it to, you're not speeding it up. You want to do it in real time. So it can be really good to think about, a part of the race if you're worried about the technical aspects so if you're doing some I don't know some downhill running where you know there's going to be like rocks and stones and you're a bit worried about that you can practice downhill running on difficult um, surfaces as your visualization or if you're worried about 70 miles in a 100 mile race tends to be the point where your brain goes stupid thing to do let's stop so Perhaps you want your visualisation to be about that 70-mile point point, yeah. and how you want to practise. When your brain says, I don't want to do this anymore, how are you going to keep going? And you can practise keeping going two or three times a day in the build-up so that when you get to that point, you're much better equipped to be able to go, no, I know I can carry on. I'm going to. Yeah. Yeah,
0: that's, that's really fascinating, actually. So in this kind of um, script and the recording that you do for yourself, are you talking in the first person? Or are you actually talking to yourself as in you will do this? What, is, there a, is there a right way or a wrong way to do that?
1: No, that's a really interesting question because there's no best practice yeah. that I have seen. So some people like to watch from above yeah. and see themselves as the little runner on the trail and what they're doing. And other people like to see it through their own eyes. Um, and I've yet to see research. There is research into it, but I've yet to see one that says one is better than the other yeah um, okay. for different environments I think it tends to be what works for you yeah how do you like to see things
0: yeah oh fascinating well yeah I've never tried it that way I've just kind of tried the actual visualization so I'll definitely give that version a go um so yeah if, if you're listening out there and have tried it let us know how you've got on um I just want to ask you uh, one more question Josie while you're on because I've, I've experienced a couple of occasions during races where I've had panic attacks do you have any advice for a getting over them quickly um, and b just preventing them really kind of preparing for them and avoiding them?
1: Cause it's not yeah. a nice place to be when it happens. It's not. we did done a whole podcast to go through the reason why they appear. Um, and maybe we can do something in future where we go through that whole kind of why people get performance okay, anxiety. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and that's what I spend most of my time working with athletes on is right. performance anxiety. So that's quite common, yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, particularly for a specific group of people. Yeah. Very intelligent perfectionists. Right, so okay, yeah. You're quite perfectionistic. You really, really want to do well. Um, it tends to trigger much higher levels of performance anxiety. So we won't go into the why they happen because that needs lots of time. But there are two really cool tricks I tend to use when they happen, Um, and the the very short version is that when you're feeling anxious, your brain sends two chemicals around your body in order to handle the threat that it is found: cortisol and adrenaline. And one of the places they tend to go is your heart rate and your breathing rate speed up. Yeah. So most people most runners certainly will probably have a respiratory rate of about 13 14 breaths a minute if you get super anxious before a race or even in a race my breathing rate will probably go up to about 20 breaths a minute and the problem with that is the threat system in your brain is constantly scanning your body to make sure there's no threats and if the breathing rate suddenly goes super high it goes oh look breathing rate's high there's a threat and it sends around more adrenaline and cortisol and you get into a really horrible cycle, which is what tends to cause the panic attack. So, there is a breathing technique that I find super effective called colourful breathing. And the idea is you breathe in through your nose a colour for four seconds, you hold for two, and you breathe out a different colour through your mouth for six seconds. So, you can pick whatever colours you want. So, the the slow breathing gets you down to about five or six breaths a minute. Right. So it stops triggering the continued release of the adrenaline and the cortisol. Um, and the colors mean you're focusing on the colors. So your brain stops ruminating about all the things that are going to go wrong. I so there's no headspace space left to ruminate. You're just focused on colors. Yeah. So usually five or six rounds of that are really good to being able to start to slow everything down so your brain stops panicking. It is also a really good tool to use if you can't sleep the night before a race or any night. Um, I use it a lot with my seven-year-old. If she can't sleep, we do yeah. colourful breathing. Um, she gets to pick insane. the colours. <laughs> yep. Well, she picks the colours so then they feel in control. Yeah. But it's a really nice pattern that they can start to follow and then fall asleep in line with because it's basically tricking your brain into thinking, it's a lot calmer and more chilled than it actually is. So that one's really effective. The other one is a grounding technique because what makes us anxious is usually not anything physical because most of our lives now we don't have physical threats. It's psychological threats. Yeah. And the psychological threat is usually the outcome that we're worried about and what that means about us and our identity. So we want to move away from thinking about outcomes and focusing on what's going on now in the moment. What kind of tasks do we need to do? And so one nice way to do that is um, called a senses ladder. Because one of the other things that happens when your your threat system is triggered and, and you've got the adrenaline and cortisol flooding your body is your senses switch off. Because if you're being chased by somebody, you don't need to smell or taste Touch anything you just need to be able to run really fast in a straight line um, so we want to switch back on your senses so to do this one you look around you and anyone listening to this can do this at home right now and we want you to say out loud five things that you can see four things you can touch and what they feel like so you're actively having to really feel to be able to go. You no, know, my laptop is cold and hard.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. Um three things you can smell. That one is easier outside than in. Um two things you can hear. So you're tuning into what's going on outside around you. One thing you can taste.
0: Yeah.
1: And if you do those, it switches your senses back on. And again, your 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 cognitive focus is on the things you can see and where you are right now and it stops it shooting forward too these are all the things that could possibly go wrong and how it might impact my own self-identity yeah so try okay. those ones and see how you get on yes,
0: I will do thankfully that's not happened to me for a while but I thought well, while I've got you here yeah other people might find that useful too so yeah please let us know well thank you Josie it's been absolutely um fascinating chatting to you um all about the the kind of psychological side of running today it's, it's, not, a, it's not a topic that we often delve into but we should definitely do more <laughs> um so just remind us about your new book that's out
1: um it's called the 10 pillars of success uh and you can hopefully get it anywhere
0: yeah <clears throat> and where can people find you on social media and online if they want to um, so i have that. a
1: website Uh, which is performanceinmind.co.uk and there's a section on there called performance zone so there's lots of worksheets and blogs and toolkits you can you can take off there and and help yourself develop that kind of psychological side um and then i am on twitter far too much or x now um as josephine perry or i'm josephine perry 76 on instagram
0: yeah. Oh, lovely. Well, thank you again for coming on and thank you to Threshold Sports. Um, and just a reminder for everybody that the Threshold the, sorry, the Threshold Trail Series um, is happening this summer. Um, you can find out more at www.thresholdtrailseries.com. Um, so thank you very much. Thank you.